Well, good morning again. How's everybody doing? Still, still awake? Excellent. I'll do my best to keep you that way. Let's see how it goes. As I mentioned earlier, I'm just so thankful to be here uh, this morning. One of the things that stood out to me as I was kind of listening and reviewing the sermons from the past few, so blessed here to have an abundance of incredible teachers. Amen? Let's give a round of applause. It is such a gift. It is such an amazing gift to have so many gifted teachers. And I would say it's kind of what we've been doing, but realistically, I've only been doing this for a few years. So what we do is at the beginning of the year, since I've been here, is we put together a New Year's one-off series, uh, which means we have a bunch of guest speakers come in um, from among us, and they give a one-off sermon. And what this allows me to do is it gives me time uh, to kind of gather myself from the end of the year, um, because the end of the year, a lot of times there's a bunch of things moving really quickly, and then there's things that go on the back burner, and I try to get those things wrapped up. This is an amazing gift. Many pastors do not have that type of gift to be able to be like, all right, I'm just going to step back and not preach for a month so that I can catch up on the things I didn't get to do. They just have to work a whole lot more. But guess what? You guys are so kind to me. <laughs> and I so appreciate it. So this time's incredible. And an amazing thing that came out of this, praise be to God, is that I was sick for two Sundays. And guess what? We didn't have to find last-minute coverage. Isn't that awesome? People were actually prepared. We didn't have to put people on the hook. What I love about the fact is as I look at these one-offs, and this is not the first time, but when I look at these one-offs, oftentimes there is... Oftentimes there's a narrative that God is speaking to us through these one-off messages. It's amazing. Why do I think that's amazing? Well, because Glenn and Beverly and I are so thankful to have each other and so thankful that we get time to invest and be intentional and listen to the Holy Spirit to come together with sermon series that, Lord willing, are honoring to God and important for this season, right? What I love is when my little fingers have nothing to do with it and the Holy Spirit's speaking, right? That's awesome. That's awesome for me. I look and go, wow, God is so good. His plans are better and greater and higher than mine could ever be. And Lord willing, we're tracking. We're tracking with him. And his plans for us. I'm going to read you a little story. And many of the, this, this story will probably be incredibly familiar. But I just want a refresher for us. Matthew 7, 3 through 5. <clears throat> Jesus is speaking. I'll give you a minute if you want to look this up in your in your Bible, and it'll be up on the screen. Why do you look 
at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye. Pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Word of the Lord. Well, if you've been here for a few weeks, I'm excited because this will just be recap for you. If not, all the sermons are available for you to listen to online. I'd encourage you, have a listen. The last three sermons have a story. I believe it's the story Jesus told us here. Okay? Glenn, three weeks ago, warned us about assumptions. And he gave us a bunch of beautiful examples of how our assumptions get us into trouble. And what I would say is our assumptions often leave us seeing specks of dust that aren't even there. Our assumptions often, often lead us to seeing specks of dust that aren't even there. Probably because our heart condition isn't right. And so the plank of our own self-righteousness or pride is making many things look like specks of dust in those around us. Right? There's a plank in your eye. It's hard to see much of, any, much of anything, let alone a speck of dust. Out of curiosity, I was like, I wonder how many times pride is mentioned in the Bible. So I, I did a quick search, and it really depends on what translation you're using. But the word pride shows up in tr some translation as many as 158 times. I don't know how many word searches you've done, but that's a lot in the Bible for one word to show up. And I only read through about 30 or 40 verses before I could see that there was a similar warning with every single one. Pride's bad. <laughs> Pride's bad. Over and over and over again. And that isn't even with me digging into references of, um, let's say, um, haughtiness. That's another word that gets used in Scripture. Self-righteousness. There's all kinds of words that point back to pride that would add verses and verses onto this concept of pride and the warning against pride. We should take that seriously. And so assumptions get us in trouble, Glenn said. And I would say they cause us to see dust. They cause us to see dust. Sometimes dust is there. Sometimes the dust is, is seen because it's coming off our own plank. <laughs> right? So Harvey then steered us into what? Repentance. Repentance. What a beautiful service. 
And I hear the response was incredible. And that's amazing. I would say repentance is the acknowledgement of the plank. Repentance is the acknowledgement of the plank and surrendering the plank to God so that he can remove it. Now, we often do a good job finding planks and putting it back into our eye, right? So this isn't a one-and-done type of situation. But what's really neat as we look at what Jesus is saying here is that God can use the body of Christ to be a support network in plank removal. That's awesome. Do we have that? That's the question today. By the power of Christ in our surrender to the leadership of the Spirit, we can be a powerful piece of plank-free living. So why then is this still an issue? Why is it still an issue? I ask myself that. I ask you to ask yourself that. It hasn't gone away. This has been an issue for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. <laughs> Why is this still an issue? Well, I think in our culture, in our time, I look and I see that we live in an incredible fear of vulnerability. Okay? We live with incredible fear of vulnerability. And this fear can be based on experiences that we've had with those who we've been vulnerable with and they've betrayed our vulnerability, right? It could be based in that. But the danger is that indulging this fear leads to what I would call backwards living. And we're gonna dive into that in depth today. It's not the way we want to live. We sang about it this morning. We're not slaves to fear by the power of Jesus Christ. He freed us. It's for freedom's sake that he set us free. To be free of what? Bondage. What kind of bondage are we talking about? Fear. Pride. So then Laurel brings us to this place where she says, bloom where you're planted. And she talks about the implications of us blooming where we're planted. And ultimately what I would say is that she's saying, live brings glory to God in our own lives, but also into the lives of people around us, right? And this is where it can get incredibly tricky. And Jesus Makes it tricky in his story. What's he say at the end of this uh, Matthew 7, 3 through 5? He says this, and then you'll see clearly. Clearly to do what? Clearly to do what? Do we remember? To remove the speck from your brother's eye. Interesting. That's a tricky thing. That's a tricky thing. I don't know about you. How do you remove a speck or help a brother or sister who has a speck without coming off like a real tool. Right? We've all been there. 
Jesus and without relationship, right? If we don't have the relationship, if, if God hasn't, unless the Holy Spirit moves in, I mean, the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants. He can move into a situation, allow you to be the great spectrum mover, and everyone's just going to be like, glory to God. But oftentimes there's relationship that's involved. Let me tell you a story just this week. Because not only is it incredibly tricky to love someone unconditionally and show them their, your love for them and for the Father by helping them with a speck. It's tricky to receive that, right? It's tricky to receive that. This week I'm writing an essay for my application to seminary. I'm gonna be taking some classes in the fall. I know you're all very excited for me. I'm very excited for me too. Um, so <laughs> I'm putting together my essay and I finished writing this essay. I'm like, whoo, that's glorious. I love it. I'm reading the words. That's me. That's all me right there. So you know what I did? I go, okay, you know what I need? I need a critic. I need someone to critique this. I couldn't think of anyone better than my wife. She graded papers for 16 years at the college level. So I'm like, here you go. I can't wait. She's going to love it. I come back after, I, I literally, I was in the office here, I drop it, I say, hey, just give it a read, little corrections, fix my grammar, you know, be hard on me, and then I come up here, and I worship for a little while, I was preparing myself for the very best, and I come back, and I sit down, and she's like, well... I'd give it a solid 70. I was like, 70? Oh. She started walking through some of the feedback, and as it's coming, I'm like sinking lower and lower in my seat, right? I start asking myself questions. Should I even be taking classes? <laughs> that you would uh, be moving in the word today? Lord, that you would be pointing out ways that as a community, we can become a community of plank-free living by the power of your spirit. Lord, we pray that you would soften our hearts and minds, that you would open our eyes to the planks in our lives. Bless this time in your name. Amen. Amen. So the text we're looking at today, looking at briefly, is, um, is 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. And I'll give you a minute. Now, about your love for one another, we don't, do not need to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. What a statement from Paul <laughs> to hear. I'll get a letter from Paul and say, I don't need to teach you about love. You got it. Way to go. Good job. High five. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. There's an interesting bit. He says he can't, doesn't need to teach him on it, but then he says, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, 
to do so more and not be dependent on anybody. We see throughout Paul's letters again and again this concept of living lives that not only take care of themselves, but take care of others. I think it's in Ephesians 4.28 when Paul talks about don't be a thief, work with your hands, make money to do what? Give to others, right? And, and we see this repeated, repeated, repeated. Here Paul is addressing something interesting with, uh, with this community, and that is the fact that they're so enthusiastic about the second coming of Christ that they've kind of wandered into stagnation. That's remarkable. But basically they're like, God's coming. I don't need to work right now. I'm just going to hang out with my friends and wait for the Lord. But Paul says, don't wait. Don't just wait around. Don't be stagnant. Don't make a fool of God's people. And there's a whole sermon that could be preached on that. But what I really want to look at is this concept of, at the beginning of 11, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. I don't think that's how we think. I don't know how many of us, I mean, maybe. It's probably more common in the North Country, actually, as I know many North Country people might actually be like, it is my ambition to live a quiet life. That's why I live in Parishville, right? Like, <laughs> but, um, but I think oftentimes if you get caught up in the cultural stuff, that isn't usually our ambition to live a quiet life. I love this statement from Charles Barkley. Um, uh, is it Charles Barkley? It might not be Charles Barkley. Will, William Barkley. Uh, and he says, he says this. It is our lives which must be the sermons to win men for Christ. That is, that is what he's doing, is he's looking at this text in Thessalonians. Uh, Barclay says, it is our lives which must be the sermons to win men for Christ. But that may not look like what you think it looks like. It may not look like what you think it looks like. It might mean that your life looks very different from what our culture presents Aaron, where are you getting these crazy ideas? Well, let's start by looking at Jesus, right? He's a great example. The best. Let me ask you, what was Jesus doing when he was 20? Carpenter working with his hands, right? Okay, so we know that he was, he was likely uh, learning under his dad, working with his hands. But this is the same at 25 28, hopefully he's getting better at his craft. Well, you might say, well, yeah, but let's look at Jesus in ministry. That's what I'm interested in, ministry, right? Let's look at his 30s. He's got 30 to 33. 
Jesus' ministry. What's his ministry look like? Well, I'd love for you to show me the passages where Jesus is chasing a crowd. Or where he says to his disciples, listen, there's not enough of you. So go, get some friends, and bring them back. In fact, we see multiple moments where he runs from crowds. Not like in a panic, right? But like, (laughs) he's not pursuing it. He's walking away from it. One of these examples is Mark 1, 35. I love this. I love this. Jesus raises, he gets up very early in the morning. It's still dark. He departs went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and when they found him, they say, everyone's looking for you. And he says to them, let us go on to the next town, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went out onto throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. I just love that Simon comes and everybody's looking for you. We got a whole village of people looking for you. And it seems like Jesus is kind of like, let's get out of here. <laughs> I talked a little bit about backwards living. And I want to just touch on this a little here. We'll continue to touch on it a little bit. And I mentioned it a little bit in our leadership summit, but so often in our culture, we live lives where we display everything we believe is praiseworthy, right? And we hide everything we think is not praiseworthy. Social media has only multiplied this by many, many, many times. You know, you're sitting in a cafe, sipping on your latte, Bible out, time with Jesus. Right? You just bring that praiseworthy stuff forward. What's interesting is that when you look at Jesus' ministry, What happens when he heals the blind, raises the dead? What does he say to him? Don't tell anyone. Imagine yourself sitting in a prayer meeting. That isn't what he did. Tell anyone. That's backwards. Right? It's backwards from how we live today. Any good thing that happens, let's throw it out there. Anything we believe that's not praiseworthy, let's make sure that stays tucked away. And, I, you know, I mentioned that it's multiplied today, but this was something as a kid I experienced. You know, coming to church as a kid, you get up in the morning, get in the bathroom, brush your teeth, comb your hair, put your best clothes on, man. Get in the door, don't be a punk, smile, your life is great. Right? At eight to ten years old, that's kind of what it felt like. 
kind of sets you up to live a backwards life. Sometimes life doesn't feel like that, right? You're not feeling like wearing your best or coming in and being like, life's great. Joy of the Lord. I'd like us to be different. And I believe we are. This is awesome. I think we're a community that doesn't come in with our Sunday face on. That disguise of like, I've got everything together. I just don't think we do that. That's great. But we can continue to grow in that. That's the encouragement. We're going to look at another text that deals very specifically to the ways we can live quietly and differently today. And this is Matthew 6, 1 through 6. It's Jesus again speaking. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, will reward you. Jesus says, makes this statement, phrase of statements, twice in this text, where he says, the father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And what I would like to argue is that what is done in secret paints a more clear image of one's character than what is done in front of people. And so my question to all of us today is, how's your secret life? How's your secret life? T.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says this, Surely what a man does when he is taken off his guard is the best evidence of what sort of man he is. Surely what pops out before the man has time to put on a disguise is the truth. If there are rats in the cellar, you are most likely to see them if you go in very suddenly. But the suddenness does not create the rats. It only prevents them from hiding. In the same way, the suddenness of a provocation does not react when not given time to clear the rats out of their reaction. What I am saying is that when you have no one to project yourself to, and you look into that cellar with night vision goggles on, what are the names of the rats? I'm going to invite up the worship team. 
We have a cool opportunity as a community. I talked about being a community that isn't afraid of being vulnerable and that this can be very challenging. And I'm not suggesting that you're able to be vulnerable with everybody. I think I was reading a book by Dallas Willard recently, and he talked about the nature of our relationships and being able to have these types of like close, vulnerable relationships being limited to a few from his perspective. But what I would like us doing as a community is pursuing those types of relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? Maybe you have them. God bless you. Um, Maybe you could grow in the ones you have. We've got these home groups coming up, five of them, on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Saturday, I believe it was. This is a great opportunity to test, try, and challenge yourself to be a little more vulnerable. We don't want to be Christians that live backwards lives, as I call them, where we display everything praiseworthy and hide everything that we believe is not praiseworthy. In fact, from what we read today, we see Jesus saying, hide what is praiseworthy Because the Father sees what's in secret and the reward is great. And scripture tells us to confess our sins to one another. See how that's a little different? The secret praiseworthy stuff, that's something we do for God. The things that we think aren't praiseworthy, that's something we bring to God. And our brothers and sisters can help us walk through that, but only when we are able to be vulnerable. Let's live lives that are satisfied that God sees the unseen and we don't need to seek seen approval. Let us shed our fear community that is so close to you and so loving of each other that we can be a community that fosters plank-free living. God, I pray for myself that you would be revealing to me even now ways that I haven't surrendered planks in my own life over to you, ways that I'm wrestling with pride or self-righteousness, or sin. Lord, I pray that you would be moving powerfully in our relationships with you and with each other as we go into this week. In Jesus' name, amen.